You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Last week was our first text, the parable of the ten virgins in our series here. Last week was urgency. Urgency, the question with that was, are you ready? Are you ready? You have your oil, your lamp lit. This week is now opportunity. And the phrase that goes with that word is this, don't waste it. Opportunity. Don't waste it. Now there's, there's progression through Matthew 25. I, if you know me a little bit, it comes to God's word, I love to see progression in Scripture. The systematic approach or systematic putting together by the Holy Spirit of Scripture. And we'll see this within Matthew 25 thus far. The parable of the ten virgins, if it's in one word, it's this, watch. Uh, Be ready, be prepared, watch. If the parable of the talents is described in one word, it's this, work. Get after it. Get to work. If you're truly watching, then the way that we're ready as we watch is to get to work for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't waste your life. It's interesting to me that many people will ask, they'll say, what does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to be watchful? And the answer to that question is our text today. Uh, Jesus could not be more clear in terms of what he's describing as this is the life that is watchful, that is getting after it for the things, again, of Jesus Christ. So don't waste the opportunity you've been given. Jesus is looking fundamentally through this this parable, faithfulness from his children. Faithfulness is a key word. Again, so many people, I'd love to point out some of these things as we get into these things. So many people, I think, at the end of time, they will stand before Jesus as their life is brought to account, because all of us will have to give an account, believers and unbelievers. Unbelievers in terms of salvation, in terms of heaven and hell, life and death. But believers also, genuinely saved in Christ, we will have to give an account for what we've done with our lives. And many people, even many believers, they'll stand before Christ and they'll say, Jesus, how come you weren't more clear? How come you didn't tell? I mean, if you would have told me more, I I would have made changes. I'm telling you, today in today's passage, excuses are gone. Jesus could not be more clear in terms of what it means to follow him. We've got to know that. That's happening right. The fact that you're sitting here right now, you might regret it, all right, all right. But, but the fact that you're here right now, there are no excuses. I mean, Jesus puts it on the table. It's so evident. It's so obvious. It's unmistakable what he is asking from those who profess to follow him. Notice the very first word in our passage today. It's the word in verse 14. It's the word for. See that there? For. It will be like. The kingdom of heaven will be like. So this is the continuation from verse 1 of Matthew 25. It says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. We're carrying on that in our parable today. It's also a direct carryover from verse 13, of course. Look at verse 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour, Jesus says. Then he says, for, and he begins to explain it with a story. Okay, so watch this. Look up here, love us. Look up here. Here's what Jesus is doing. Remember, the whole chapter, Matthew 25, is rooted in eschatology. Eschatology is the study of 
Yes, end times, last things. Good. We're learning together. So watch this. Eschatology, Jesus holds this up to encourage us in light of his return, eschatology. He's encouraging us to live and seize the moment of what he's entrusted to us. Eschatology, to be encouraged to endure. We're encouraged then in the truth of Christ that we would endure and live for that, live for him again who matters. That's what's happening again in this story. So we have watch and be ready. What does that look like in our lives? That's the remainder of this message. Takes us to point number one is this. All Christ followers have been entrusted with opportunity. Okay, just pastorally speaking, pastorally speaking right now, I'm warning you, okay? I'm giving you a warning. This is a, I'm excited, but it's a direct message today. Like, it's coming at your heart and mind. Personally, I love when the Bible presents us with truth that you can't wiggle out of. You know what I'm saying? It's like, We're presented with a challenge today. The only way you get out of it is if you leave the faith. And if you leave the faith, well, that's a whole other set of problems. Not that you can actually leave the faith theologically. But you have to deny the faith, reject it. If you claim to be a Christ follower, you have no option but to abide and adjust by what is being presented to us today. So it's going to be tough. But I think that's exactly what the Lord wants. He wants to help us. He loves us enough to tell us what we need to hear. Look at verse 14. Where it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted. That word underlined, circled, highlighted. What do you got to do? Just know it's there. Notice, entrusted to them his property. He entrusted to them his property. Verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability, her ability. Then he went away. What Jesus introduces here was very common in the ancient world. You would have a wealthy landowner or a wealthy business owner who would entrust their estate, their valuables, their financial dealings to a servant, to a wise servant. That was very common. Um, this wasn't, don't think of a household servant. Think of like a highly skilled business expert or Highly skilled servant who can be entrusted. I think a great biblical example of this is Joseph and Potiphar. Potiphar gets Joseph as a slave, brings him into his house. It wasn't long before God put favor upon Joseph's life. And Joseph was in charge of all that Potiphar had, it said. It's kind of, that's what we're looking at right now. This is a, a very acceptable and common situation that uh, wealthy people would do. They would entrust their servants with a lot. Notice in verse 15 it says, each according to his ability. Now that's very important. In the context of our parable, one gets five talents, one gets two, one gets one. We'll explain in a second what talents are exactly. But I want you to see this here right now. The master decides who gets what based on their ability to handle it. Let's do some application right now, okay? A lot of us are tempted at times to look at someone else and say, how come I'm not getting what he gets? How come she gets to do what she does? How come I'm not in the position that person is? How come I'm not there? How come I don't have it? And we start to complain and we start to get envious. Now, envy is a wicked sin because you're looking to have something that doesn't belong to you. 
and we're learning right away, the master being Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ hands out that which is appropriate for the individual assigned to them. All that to say this, be content with what you have. It's powerful. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He's talking about super apostles. Oh, the the other super apostles, but then there's me as one untimely born. He says, but the grace of God, as if Paul wasn't some kind of great apostle himself, right? But he says here, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Can you say that for yourself? By the grace of God, you are what you are. Don't try to be someone else. Don't wish you had someone else's thing or stuff, whatever. Your ability to be content in the gifting and the resources and the place that God has entrusted to you. By the way, some of you, you have one talent and you wish you had five. If you got five, it would ruin you. You couldn't handle it. You can't handle the truth. I just felt like saying that right there, right? But you couldn't handle it. You couldn't handle it, right? Because it would be too much, and it would bring your heart down to destruction. So be careful. God, how come I don't, you know? We start complaining to him. He's like, man, I'm, I'm loving you like crazy by withholding the very thing that would bring you to your end. But we think we're so smart, don't we? Anyways, all that to say, each according to his or her own ability. Notice next in verse 15 that each servant received a certain amount of talents. Now this isn't the parable of the talent show. That's not what's happening here, right? Not as we think of a, a talent. A talent in the ancient world was not a coin. It was actually a weight, a measure of weight, which was uh, used in terms of money. So a talent would actually be the amount of weight that a soldier could carry on his back. Somewhere between 75 to 100 pounds. A talent would be made up of gold, silver, or bronze. It was generally worth 6,000 denarii. You should have a footnote in your Bible besides verse 15. And you can look at that. And it would say here explaining that a talent was the equivalent to 20 years wage of a day laborer. Okay? 20 years wages. Wow. Wow. So, in today's dollars, a talent would be worth somewhere, I mean, give or take a couple hundred thousand, somewhere around a million dollars. One talent would be a million dollars, something like that. So, we begin to see just how much the servants were entrusted with. This was a massive opportunity. Now, before we interpret this incorrectly, this is not to suggest that in the context of our lives, that we all get a million dollars from Jesus, all right? At least. That would, that would be bad exegesis. Exegesis is the term for pulling meaning, interpreting meaning out of the text. For our purposes, though, a talent is opportunity. A talent is the opportunity God has entrusted to us. Time, resources, spiritual gifting, authority. Opportunity is really the soul. Now, I believe that unbelievers also are entrusted with opportunity, and it's called a soul. You have this life that you're living, given by God Almighty. And then the bar is even raised for believers who are entrusted with specific talents or opportunity that is not to be wasted. So right away in this parable, discipline yourself to go beyond the parable, beyond the church, and I want you to apply it to your heart right now, okay? You have to do this. Don't think about your neighbor, don't think about your spouse, think about your friend, don't think about the person you wish I was here right now. Think about you, okay? Okay? This isn't just for me, this is for you. 
God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, has entrusted you, okay, with a specific opportunity. I want to sit in this. I want you to feel that. Make it personal. You have been entrusted by God with time, resources, ability, giftedness. You have been entrusted by God with his property. It's not yours, the text. It's his. We are to be stewards of what he's entrusted to us. I stress this because sometimes you can be listening to someone like myself up here and you can just kind of be, well, that's with your life and you're entrusted with this or, or the leaders or a couple of people here. No, 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 no. Every single person, own it for what it is. You and me, we have been entrusted by God with God's opportunity. It's a big deal. And the question becomes this, are you using it? Or are you wasting it? Pause. Think. Apply. Are we using the opportunity God's given to us? Or are we wasting it? So, this leads us to point number two. Because the moment we know we've been entrusted with opportunity, then we realize we're commanded to steward this opportunity. We are commanded to steward the opportunity given to us. Look at verse 16 now. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Okay, so you've been entrusted with an opportunity, incredible opportunity. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? You multiply it, or do you hide it? First of all, notice in verse 16, the man who received the five talents went at once and traded with them. Notice, so also did the man with two talents. Okay, These are servants to follow in their example. Jesus is holding them up as examples for us to follow. Let's break down the faithful servants on the screen beside me or behind me. Notice this, first of all, notice the immediacy of the faithful servants. No hesitation. They went at once. They got right to work. No waffling, no complacency. Their urgency of their opportunity led to the action with their opportunity. Notice, the master leaves. He says, I'm entrusting you with five talents. He's like, I got it. My mission is clear. Let's go. Let's get started. The man with two talents, same thing. Master leave, here's two talents. He's like, mission clear. Here I go. I know what I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to do. I'm going to be fruitful with that which has been entrusted to me. So when the master returns, I will present to him all that I've done with what he's given to me, entrusted me with. Notice the initiative. The initiative. They waste no time. Notice he traded with them. Their objective is multiplication. Right away, what's been entrusted to me, I want to multiply. I want to use, I want to bear fruit with that which has been graciously given to me. Notice their industry. The industry, they are wise, they are not wasteful, they are good businessmen. They know what they're doing, they've studied, they are discipled, and therefore they are fruitful. Loved ones, here's one of the things you have to understand as we go through this passage right now. In the end, okay, you are responsible for you. 
You are responsible for that which has been entrusted to you. You can't push this on someone else. I can't make you do what Jesus is saying here right now. I'm responsible for me. We want as leaders to guide you and appropriately have the word and to protect you in that and and guide you as sheep. At the end of the day, you are responsible for you. And you are accountable for you as I am accountable for me. To be discipled in the faith, to see the fruit of our lives and our opportunity to grow. This entire parable is dripping with application. We are commanded to be stewards with initiative and immediacy and industry. Notice this though, notice the opposite of immediacy, industry, and initiative is, the opposite is lethargy, laziness, and idleness. So if you want to have any clarity on who not to be, it's that. Lazy, idle, and lethargic in the things pertaining to the kingdom. We've been entrusted with an opportunity. Three types of people I think are here right now. And there's grace for each one, but you can't stay in two of them for sure. Number one, there are spectators. A spectator is someone who sits in the bleachers. They might cheer every now and then, stand up and go, that's awesome on the field, way to go. But they cheer, they're not in the game. See, the problem with the spectator in this circumstance is the spectator has a gift that needs to be used to contribute to the game on the field for the greater good. Every single person in Christ. Do you know that? Every single person in Jesus Christ has a spiritual gift. Every single one, often multiple gifts. That's to be used for Christ. You cannot have that buried in the ground. Okay? If you are spectating, and you continue to spectate the church, and you might cheer on God's kingdom. At some point, though, you got to get on the field. If you are spectating your entire life, that's a bad sign for where you're actually at with Christ. You cannot keep spectating year after year after year after year, not if you're going to be obedient to Christ and prove that you truly belong to him. Spectator, there's sideliners. Sideliners aren't necessarily spectators, but they're ones that have been in the game before, but now they're sitting on the bench. And there's grace for that. There's grace. Maybe you got hurt. Maybe you got to get on the bench. You need a water break, man. You got to sit down. You got to tape up your ankle or whatever and get back in. You've been on the bench, though. The problem is sometimes the sideliners have been on the bench so long that they're healed and they're rested and there's been so much grace, but now the coach is like, come on, let's go. Get back in the game. We got to use you. You ready to do it? Come on now. Some of us have been sitting on the sidelines too long. And today the Holy Spirit's like, I'm calling your number. And you're like, put me in, coach. I want to sing that song now. I'm not sure if you know that song. <laughs> Never mind. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Spectator, sideliner, steward. A steward. We're all, we're all meant to be stewards of that which has been entrusted to us. Because these are the ones that are proven to be faithful to see the fruit they've been given, the opportunity they've been given and multiplied for the Lord Jesus. The faithful servants give us some good examples, but in verse 18 we come to a fairly significant but. Here comes the contrast between faithfulness and unfaithfulness. Look at verse 18. But... He who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Notice, first of all, regardless of your perceived ability, five, two, or one, five, two, or one, we're all called to be stewards of that which God has entrusted to us. Okay, so again, you can't just look up at the front or look at someone leading somewhere and be like, well, that's, you're supposed, no, no, no. Every single one of us alive in Christ, we're called to steward the opportunity that he's given to us. We know from a few verses from now, this third servant He used the excuse that he was afraid. He was afraid, so he hid his money in the ground. Listen to this. The bottom line notice about the third servant, the third servant's indictment was he did nothing. That was his sin. And the master responded in a way that surprises me at least. He says, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew better. But notice here, his sin was that he did nothing. Not like he murdered someone. Not like he committed some horrible crime. He did nothing. He did not steward that which was entrusted to him. He ignored his calling. He neglected his opportunity. He wasted his stewardship. Okay? Jesus is not wasting words here because Jesus doesn't want us to waste our lives. We are commanded to steward the opportunity God has entrusted to us. Don't waste it. Don't waste your life. And by the way, Pastor Oli speaking right now, I am not trying to make you feel guilty. Guilt is of the enemy. Conviction is of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent in John's Gospel, it says, to convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Guilt, bad conviction good Jesus is telling us and loving us by showing us if we're going in the direction of unproductivity and fruitlessness in our lives that's a serious concern you got to get in the game don't waste your life don't waste your stewardship opportunity with this one chance we have takes us to point number three we will be held to account concerning our opportunity. All of us will have to give an account concerning the opportunity that God has given to us, entrusted us with. All of us will have to give an account. Let's see what happens. Verse 19. So after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Isn't that interesting? After a long time. This is once again the, 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 the delay of the return of Christ. The, the parousia of Christ has come. The return of Christ is, is upon us. The master returned. And notice, when the master is delayed, it shows and proves the heart of the individuals. Notice also he came to settle accounts. That's a, that's a business term. Um, reconciling the books. Determining the reward. And here is yet another passage in Scripture that is telling us and warning us of judgment. When the master comes, he will settle accounts. We will be held to account in regards to our opportunity. Look now at verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. I will set you over much. 
enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. These first two faithful servants are wonderful examples for us. They are inspiring. Notice in verse 20, the man with the five talents, he, is, he says he, he's bringing the talents to the master. That word bringing is like um, a language in the original. It's a language of sacrifice. That's pretty telling right there because the idea then of the servant is his, his work, his, his multiplication of his opportunity it was actually a sacrifice to be presented to the master upon his return. I mean, it reminds me of Romans 12, verse 1. Uh, present yourselves then before God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual worship. Loved ones, all of us in Christ, man, we are, we are living sacrifices. That we are to present our lives as such. When the master returns in some form, in some way, we will present ourselves to Jesus and say, here, here's my life. Here's, here's what I've done with what you've entrusted to me for the fruit of the gospel and the kingdom. Don't be caught off guard in that regard. Don't waste it. So in the end, you've got nothing to show for. That's a disaster. And Jesus is loving us by warning us, saying, don't let that be you. It's a powerful imagery here. Notice a few things from the lives of these first two servants. I'm going to put these on the screen behind me and beside me. Notice this. Notice the multiplication of the first two faithful servants. They took what was entrusted to them and they multiplied. The five became ten. The two became four. Both were honored in the same way. They multiplied their opportunity. Loved ones, are you multiplying the opportunity God has entrusted to you? You say, how do I do that? I think one of the best ways you multiply what's been entrusted to you is you multiply yourself into other people. Are you taking what God's entrusted you with, your spiritual gifting, time, resources, energy, love, authority, whatever it is, and then multiplying yourself into other people? You say, well, I'm just new in Christ, or I don't know how to get started. Man, any one of us in smaller, big ways, we can do that by serving, by encouraging, by coming alongside, by sharing our testimony, letting others know about Christ. It's amazing, right? You have the opportunity to pour yourself into other people. Is that happening? Okay, again, okay, listen, listen. This isn't just for Pastor Boy up here, all right? Like, this is for every single one of us who are like, you can't, I'm not letting you get away with it. Because Jesus isn't. Every single person who's been entrusted with opportunity alive in Jesus Christ, you have the onus on you as I do to multiply what we've been given, to see others benefit and see Jesus receive glory. Notice their, notice their mindset Notice their mindset. Uh, here, the master returns. Here, I have made five more. They were ready. You see that? The master's delayed. They didn't know when he's going to return. He shows up one day, and the five and two talent guys are like, here, here, here it is. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here, look, look, master. I've multiplied for you. They're ready. Are we ready? The mindset of readiness at any moment, any moment, and our lives can... You know, I think about that, and you know, so many of us, are we ready? I hope so. But think of the amount of time we're spending on things that are just futile, useless, useless. 
if I see one more 99-cent video game for a smartphone, I'm going to die. These, these, these hours and hours and hours sitting on a device doing absolutely nothing. Fair? It's hard to argue with that. Jesus returns. Hold on, Jesus. has got to finish my app game or whatever it's called or... One, one, one second, one second. I'm destroying my brain right now. Just, I'll, I'll get you in a second. I mean, I mean in the end, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. He's going to return. And the Trump, and there we are. Got our, got our tablets open doing nothing. 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 That's a tragedy. Jesus is warning us. Notice, notice the much. Notice the much. They were faithful in little. Jesus says, I will entrust you with much. Now, Little in this context was actually enormous in worldly terms. The talent was so much. Can you imagine? Then when Jesus says, that's nothing, I'll give you much. I mean, that reward is going to be awesome. Notice this, the, the master's joy. The ultimate reward. Here's, here's the reward. Here's the rest we long for. Here are the, the words we all long and live to hear when we enter into the presence of Christ at the end and we present him with that which he's entrusted to us and he says to us, he, he looks us in the eyes and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Think about that, loved ones. That voice, the voice of Jesus right there, will be the voice that overrides every other voice we've ever heard. The voice of culture, all chaos, all politics, all our critics, all persecutors, all enemies. It will be the voice that silences all bullies, all accusers, all liars, all condemners, all abusers. That one voice in the end will override every other voice that has ever spoken over us ever. And that day's going to happen, okay? Again, I want, I, I want you to discipline yourself for just a couple of moments here to imagine that moment because it's going to happen. When you come face to face with Jesus himself in his physically resurrected, perfected, glorified body and you can touch him and hug him and see him and talk to him and you will, oh man, what a day it's going to be. And you will stare him in the face and oh, that he might look at you in a summary of your life and say, well done, my child, good and faithful servant. That's not make-believe. This is going to happen. It's going to happen. Again, at that very moment, you're not thinking about stock options. You're not thinking about your house decorating, you're not thinking about a resume. The only thing you care about is Jesus Christ and how I served him. Jesus is telling us what's going to happen. He's, he's, he's letting us in on the future. And he's like, I'm telling you this because I want you to live wisely and live fruitfully and live powerfully. The only voice that matters will be the voice of Jesus. But Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth, and now it gets tough. It gets really tough in verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. 
But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then why did you do nothing? That's my paraphrase. Then you ought to invest in my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. The master has major issues with the third servant. Why? Here's why. On the screen, number one, he was irresponsible. The third servant ignored his task. He did nothing. Again, love was, remember, remember, the fact that he did nothing, that was his ruin. I need you to hear that and receive that. His nothingness brought him to his ruin. Secondly, he was lazy. He was just flat out lazy. The master calls it right out, you wicked and slothful servant. You sat on your tush and you sat on your tush. It's interesting that Jesus here, the master, equates this with wickedness. You wicked and slothful, wicked and lazy servant. It's interesting here, laziness leads to atrophy. And atrophy is wasting away, uh, degenerating before our very eyes. I want you to consider that. How many people, literally, metaphorically, sitting on the couch, stuffing their face with whatever, just watching some screen, and just hours and hours and days and weeks and months and years, and a lifetime goes by, and they are literally wasting away in slothfulness and really wickedness. One commentator said this. He said the only thing that this third servant had to show for himself was a hole in the ground. That's going to be the plight of many people, man. Jesus returns and the faithful servants come and say, hey, I'm ready. Here's my multiplication. And there's other people sitting there in return of Jesus and they're like, I got my hole. I dug a hole. He's like, you, you did what? I dug a hole. And in that moment, you're like, oh, no. Not good. Isn't that so sad? Don't be, please, don't be one of these people, please. Some of you are sitting here right now. The only thing you have is a, a hole dug where the, where the money's been hidden. The opportunity's just been, just keeping it safe. Just putting it aside. Jesus is saying, that's not going to work. It's not my words, it's the words of Jesus. It's just, it's so clear. That won't end well. Notice he, he made excuses. We're good at that, aren't we? In verse 24, the servant has the gall to accuse the master for his unproductivity. He says, I knew you to be a hard man, a harsh man, unkind, ungenerous. You reap what you did not sow. So therefore, because I knew you to be this way, therefore I did nothing. In fact, it's your fault, Master, that I am where I am. That's arrogant. And that's foolish. And yet this is what the third servant does. He blames. He blames the Master for his situation. Really? Really? I mean, think, think of how that applies too. Isn't that the classic sin of mankind? Always blaming others. How many marriage settings have I sat in men counseling and just, I cannot tell you how many times, it's her fault, his fault, her fault, his fault. Just, can you just have enough wisdom to say, unless you change, no one changes? And just for one moment, just be like, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. But what does pride do? Well, it's amazing. Adam in the Garden of Eden. 
Eve's fault. Eve, Garden of Eden. It's the devil's fault. And then it's a train wreck all the rest of humankind from that point on. In the end, loved ones, in the end, you can't blame your spouse. You can't blame your friend. You can't blame your enemy. You can't blame whatever. Like in the end, it's you and, it's, it's, it's you and the Lord. It's you and the Lord. I'm not discounting situations. I'm not. I'm just telling you the text is saying, in the end, you won't be able to blame people around you, man. Some people will look at God, and they'll actually blame him. You should have told me more, God. You weren't there for me. You let me down. You did this. They will, they will have the gall, too, to stand before a righteous God, a perfect, holy, an awesome God, who is so far above us, our minds can't begin to conceive how awesome he is, and begin to accuse him of unfaithfulness, and accuse him of wrongdoing, and accuse him of injustice. I mean, that just, that just blows my mind that we'd ever get to that spot. That's what humans do. That won't hold up. It just won't. God's given us more than we could ever need. In his son Jesus Christ, in his precious word. Not to mention the Holy Spirit living within us if we're alive in him. He made excuses and then he knew better. He just knew better. In verse 26, the master responds to the servant and says, you knew. You knew I was like this? Or you knew in your mind that you thought I was like this? You knew better. And you knew this and yet you did nothing? You see how, how the, the, the third servant condemns himself with his own words? I knew you to be, so I did nothing. And the master puts that back on him and says, if you knew this, surely you would have at least invested in the banks or in interest. Anyone could have done that. But you did nothing. You knew better. And you know what? We know better. We know better to be spectating our whole lives. We know better. Let us be wise enough not to dismiss the crystal clear teaching of Jesus right here. Loved ones, our choices matter. Our lives matter. Our giving matters. Our serving matters. Our time matters. Our gifting matters. A summary statement for this entire parable is this. True profession must lead to true practice. True professors of Christ, those who profess to know Christ, must be true in their practice for Christ. Now one of the kind of tight wires that I'm walking through this whole message I want to be very transparent about is I want to be us to be 100% aware. Listen, we are saved 100% by grace. Okay? 100% by grace. You are saved by grace through faith. Uh, it is not us. Jesus is the only one who can save us from our sins. I'll say it again. We are saved 100% by grace, not by works. Somebody say amen. Okay? Because that's good news. Okay? So, one more time. Okay? Just so there's no misunderstanding. In light of, the, light of the push towards use your opportunity with some trust in you, but we are saved. Salvation is by grace through faith. 100% Jesus, not, not, not one bit, not 1% us. Zero. Zero us. All Jesus. Saved by grace. Total gift. However, the fruit of our lives is the indication of our salvation in Christ. 100% biblical. Let me show you. So you got a verse for that? Yeah, I've done some homework. Ephesians 2, okay? Watch this. Watch salvation by grace explained and now the outworking of what must follow, okay? For by grace, gift, all gift, not earned. Grace is a gift. By grace, you've been saved through faith, faith in Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, all him. And just to be clear, anyone coming here from a background where you're taught salvation by works, get ready for that to be blown up right now, okay? 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Gift is grace. It's a gift of God. You can't earn it. Not a result of works, how clear is scripture, not a result of works that no one may boast. If my work gets me into heaven, who gets the credit? I do. That's not the way the gospel works, man. We can never do enough to get into heaven. It's all grace. But watch this. Because you are saved by grace through faith, not a result of works, no one may boast. Watch this. For we are his workmanship. Salvation by grace and faith alone in Christ alone, and yet the result of that reality is we are the workmanship of God. Look at this, created in Christ Jesus for, tell me, good works. Look at that, created in Christ Jesus to sit on your behind and do nothing. No, 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 created Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before, before the foundation of the world, chose you, saved you, reconciled, re- redeemed you, sanctifies you that you may have fruit for him through your life. That you might take the opportunity he has entrusted to you and you might be created in Christ Jesus for good works. Titus 2 is another verse I want you to see. Again, watch. The gospel flowing into fruit. No exceptions. There's massive gospel in verses 11, 12, and 13, by the way. You can look it up. One slide couldn't fit it all. But here's the gospel. Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us, gospel, bought us from slavery, from all lawlessness to purify, gospel, cleanse us for himself a people, for his own possession, gospel, chosen race, who are zealous for good works. See, see, gospel, gospel, the fruit of the gospel, good works. You cannot sit there and do nothing your whole life and claim to truly know Christ. James 2. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Why is it? Works doesn't save us. Faith saves us. But works must be the natural outcome of fruitfulness from someone who's gone from death to life, from blindness to sight, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. Someone who's been resurrected by the Holy Spirit, they come alive, they live now for Jesus Christ, and that is evidence and proven. Jesus said in John 15, you shall prove to be my disciples and bear much fruit. The tension there, but it's a good tension, your works don't save you, but your works give evidence, the fruit of your life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit gives evidence to the fact that you are genuinely saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is why then the servant who just digs a hole and hides the thing their entire lives, Jesus says, there's no way to avoid the outcome of this passage. Jesus says, you can't really be one of mine. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit, man, to wrestle all that down because it's serious stuff. Because you look at verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. See what's happening here? It's just like, okay, so if you don't use your opportunity, you give up your opportunity. If you waste it, it goes to someone else. Someone in the kingdom. A child or daughter, son of of the Lord. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then verse 30. I mean, how do you interpret this in any other way but the understanding of, of hell? 
and cast the worthless servant into the utter darkness because they're fake, because they, they never knew the master, they didn't serve the master, they rejected, they, they pretended. In that place there will be weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. And it's a pretty serious word, and it's not mine, it's Jesus. I'm just trying to faithfully explain it and then apply it. The bottom line here, loved ones, is we've all been entrusted with an opportunity. And Jesus is warning us right now and loving us, saying, don't waste it. Don't waste it. Use it. Don't live for the world. Live for Jesus. Don't do it to earn your salvation. Do it because you have been saved. And if you're not saved today, give your life to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the gift. It's a gift. It's a full gift of grace, of love, of healing, of cleansing, of life. So we'll end here. Some of you might say, okay, so message is pretty clear. I've been entrusted with an opportunity. I can't sit around just watching anymore. I, I got to get in the game. Can you help me a little bit, Ravi? Yeah, that's why we're here as a church. This is our whole mission, okay? You want the best application of how to start seizing your opportunity for Christ? Right here, 5G life. 5G life. This should not be new to you. If it is, you're new to our church. The 5G life is a discipleship model, and this is the single most effective and in some ways simplistic way of using your opportunity, what's been trusted to you. God time. I mean, I'm in the, in, in the Word this morning with the Lord, and like, if I don't do that, I'm dead. I'm just sitting there this morning when it's dark by myself, family sleeping, praise the Lord. And just hearing from God in 2 Corinthians 5. It's interesting. I was in 2 Corinthians 5 this morning. This blesses me so much. 2 Corinthians 5 is just, I'm reading it. I'm like, this is, this, is, this is affirming this entire message. It's like another parallel text where it says, And Jesus Christ died for us that we may no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I'm like, that's it. That's the whole message right there. The point of our lives, don't live for ourselves. Live for Christ. We live for Christ now who for our sake died and was raised. God time. You pursue the Lord, your opportunity. God time, gather time. Think about what you're hearing right now. Think of all that's happening right now. If you don't show up to church, you miss this. You might be like, yeah, man, I wish I missed this today, right? But if the Holy Spirit's in, you're like, it's a hard word, but I need to hear it. I know it's right. I can't argue with God's word. I need this. I need to be with God's people. I need to pray. I need to be encouraged. I need to worship. I need to, it's so much. I need to keep being reminded of where I need to go and who I need to be and for God to speak to me. It's just that's why God designed his church to meet like this. Group time. Other disciples. You cannot do the Christian faith by yourself. You can't do it. It's impossible. God has designed a body for a reason, a family for a reason, a building for a reason. Give time. Serving, using the gifts that God's in. That's really this whole passage too. Go time. Taking my life while I can. Multiplying it into the lives of others. To be on mission for God. If this looks familiar, it's right outside the wall as you walk in. And you can stand there and look at it. And if you don't know what this is, again, it's on our website. It's all over this church. And again, if you haven't seen it yet, then you haven't been here very long at all. 
because this, this is who we are. This is who we're trying to be. This is, this is what it means to biblically and in many ways simplistically follow Christ. We have an opportunity, loved ones. The Lord's saying to us today, don't waste it. Don't waste it. If we, if, if we leave this message and we do nothing about it, what does that say? I mean, honestly, what does that say about the condition of our hearts? Remember, remember, I have no interest in making you feel guilty. But I have every desire for you to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit exactly as I do. Because that's the way it's supposed to be. Out with guilt, in with conviction, out with legalism, in with grace, out with some kind of ritual religious facade, in with sincere, passionate devotion to Jesus where the Holy Spirit's alive and well in our lives and wants us to be filled with him to use our giftedness because he's going to return any day now. Help us, Lord. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I love these people so much. I love their attentiveness to your word. I love their love for you. I love their desire to follow you. I'm so thankful for your Holy Spirit that you would encourage each and every one. Again, I, I strongly pray um, out with guilt, but help us to welcome conviction. Thank you for these truths. I, I, pro- I wouldn't have written down these things the way you have, but I'm not you. And I'm thankful you are you and you love us by telling us the truth and in grace. And may we receive it today. Hearts that are struggling, Lord, I pray they would surrender to you. Not to a pastor, to a church, or to a a form of discipleship. I just surrender to you. And just say, Lord, here's my life. I, I want it to count while I can. And child, please know that here today you might have felt you've squandered your whole life. There's so much grace for you. Jesus just pours on grace and he says, all right, now go and sin no more. Right? That's what he does. All right. So now we're in the place we need to be. Now let's get, let's get going in the right path now. He says that to you today. He's like, I forgive you, I love you, and now I want to use you. So let's get after it together. Not to earn favor, but to respond in love.